Well, I don't know about you, but uh, missing church last Sunday was uh, really something that threw my personal internal clock off. Uh, The week didn't seem right. It was difficult to remember what day of the week it was. It's amazing the power that worship and gathering have uh, to set our internal clocks. It's amazing how Sabbath can truly uh, start the week and mark time. And it's also amazing how much we miss one another when we don't have our regular time of fellowship. And uh, we should remember that and count it a blessing that we can be together. I mentioned earlier that we're uh, starting this morning, intended to start last Sunday, a series of sermons entitled Overheard at Starbucks. You may still take one of the flyers. There are lots of them on the Narthex Welcome Center table. Uh, The dates will be wrong. You can just sort of mentally make a correction, maybe pass them out at work, share with friends, with family. What happens when we die? What about the second coming of Christ? What about suicide? Why are people turned off by church? What difference does Jesus make? And how can I share my faith? Those are topics that get discussed over coffee that are important to us, and uh, I hope you'll take seriously uh, the opportunity we have to maybe influence others, bring them here, and give them an opportunity to hear and think and discuss together these important topics. Before I read this morning's scripture, I'd like to uh, invite us to pray, please. Would you bow with me? Lord, it is good to be in your house. We value the fellowship with you and with one another and that mysterious something that happens when we lift up praises and sing and and worship and hear scripture read together. Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of gathering and encouraging one another and receiving encouragement from your Holy Spirit. We pray for all in our congregation who are ill and who are homebound and unable to be in services. We pray for those in our church family experiencing family crisis and job and financial pressures. And we pray, dear God, for the grieving. We ask, God, that you bless the ministries of this church as Upward Basketball and Cheer began yesterday. We pray your special anointing on that ministry, on all the families and all of the workers that... that, uh, Many, many seeds of the gospel might be sown through this important ministry with First Christian and First United Methodist. Lord, as we launch a new year, we are aware that you have a purpose for our lives, and we know that it's in Christ that we find out why we're here and what we ought to be living for. We pray that you will daily empower us to love and to be all that you've called us to be, and that you will work in us all that you desire to do. We pray that every day you'd Uh, Bathe our lives in mercy and forgiveness for all of our failures and help us to think and work together this morning with some important questions. We thank you and love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to have your Bibles open to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 16, or you may follow along silently. Uh, It will be on the screen, but I'll invite you to stand with me, uh, and we're going to... uh, Look at this scripture. I'll read it aloud. You listen to it silently and prayerfully from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. So we do not lose heart. 
even though our outward nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. God's word, may he bless it to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, you know, a lot of important, helpful conversations have taken place over a cup of coffee at Starbucks or Dunn Brothers or... uh, Coffee Zone, or Hy-Vee, or McDonald's, or you pick your favorite spot. A lot of life questions that are, that are urgent, and uh, the one we're talking about this morning is, is really one of those. It is this question of what really happens, what really happens when we die. Now, that question creates a lot of anxiety. Um, I, I struggle with whether to start uh, the new year with that topic because everybody's full of sugar and, and a little depressed about having to go back to life and you start with a topic like that. It's sort of an anxiety-producing kind of topic, what happens when we die, but it's real life. Uh, I sort of agree with uh, Woody Allen. Woody Allen once said, I've got nothing against dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I think that's the way we all feel. You know, we've got faith, but you know, when it comes down to the details, we're a little bit... Uh, a little bit hesitant. Not only does that question create anxiety, it also creates, I think, confusion. Contrary to the cartoons we saw growing up and contrary to the TV shows and movies, when we die, we do not become angels. When we die, we do not become disembodied spirits that float on a cloud playing a harp. That's just a lot of cartoon and Hollywood stuff and a lot of folklore that has no biblical foundation. Important questions, uh, once we get past some of the anxiety and some of the clutter of not true, questions like, uh, where do we go when we die? Where are the dead in Christ now? Will we know one another in heaven? All those questions and more, serious questions. Now, 
The scripture that I just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 into chapter 5 is one of those Bible passages that deals in, in a more concentrated way with, the, with that question, with those questions, than almost any other Bible passage. But I have to be honest with you, the Apostle Paul, in answering questions, almost raises as many questions. And the questions seem to be endless. So we're never going to go away this morning with all of our questions answered. That's my disclaimer uh, to start with. And, it, and you almost get the feeling that the Apostle Paul had these same questions sort of peppering, coming at him all the time everywhere he traveled because he's dealing with these. And I want you to notice how in trying to deal with them in a constructive, educational, in a teaching way, he sets a series of contrasts. And I want to show you on the screen uh, the contrast or some of them. In chapter 16, uh, verse 4, he contrasts the outer and the inner. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed. And then in verse 17, he contrasts the light, meaning, meaning not very heavy, and the, and the weighty, or that which, is, that which is strong. And he contrasts the momentary with the eternal. And by the way, the idea of weighty, or that eternal weight of glory... That, that word weight is not a negative word as if it's a burden. It's also used in the New Testament to describe that which has substance, that which has uh, seriousness to it and value to it. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's uh, The Great Divorce, uh, where he describes the redeemed uh, of the earth who are experiencing resurrection life, he, exp- he, he describes them as having more substance than the, than the, than the lives of those who have turned away from Christ. He describes them as having more substance. They're more real, and the others are more shadowy. And so that's that idea of weightiness. So it's outer versus inner. It's light versus weighty. It's momentary versus eternal. And, uh, and Paul's wanting us to understand that though the physical body may wear out, whatever happens to our physical body does not interfere with our relationship with God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? This this theme that though wasting away outwardly, inwardly being renewed day by day, that, that nothing can interrupt God's love for us, that our existence doesn't end even when our physical bodies begin to wear out. Uh, Ray Summers, a New Testament professor, uh, once said the best way he could think to describe it is uh, losing ground physically gaining ground spiritually. Not a bad motto, huh? Losing ground physically, gaining ground spiritually. When somebody asks you, how are you today? Try that on for size. That that might make them wonder, what in the world have you been thinking about? Well, but but Paul continues these contrasts in chapter 5. And by the way, the chapter and verse divisions were not in our Bibles until the 13th to 16th century. So Paul is really continuing his thought here in chapter 5. Let's go to that slide where he contrasts the uh, tent versus the building, the naked versus the clothed, the at home in the body versus away from the Lord. And then he flips that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Uh, Let's camp for a moment on that first one. Ken mentioned it and did a wonderful job with the children uh, earlier. Uh, The idea of a tent, Uh, It's temporary. It's not always very comfortable. It's not intended to be forever. 
and it grows tattered and worn and one day will be disposed of. The analogy with the human body you begin to see. Paul says we will trade in that tent for a a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And notice the tense of the verb in this. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, we have a building from God. Not we will have a building from God. Not someday I hope there'll be a building from God. He says we now have a building from God just waiting for us. That's blessed assurance that Baptists like to sing about, isn't it? That's that idea of it's, it's a certainty. It's just waiting to be claimed. We need to remember something. Eternal life does not begin when we die. Did you know that? Eternal life does not begin when we die. Eternal life begins the moment we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Eternal life begins when we get connected by faith in that relationship with God. So Paul is able to say, I have this building from God. He's talking about the resurrection body. I was visiting someone in the hospital not very long ago, and he said, you know, I'm not afraid to die. He said, death is not a punishment, it's a promotion. I like that. Death is not a punishment, it's a promotion. Death is not the end for the for the believer in Christ, death is simply a change of address from that tent to that beautiful building from God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's not a merit thing. It's a gift from God. And those are beautiful thoughts. And then about verse 2 of chapter 5, we, we, and, and following into verse 3, we get into an area that we, we don't talk about very much, very much because Paul begins to contrast the naked versus the clothed. And by the naked, he's not talking about literal physical nakedness. He's talking about disembodied spirits. And by clothed, he means spirits that are enclosed in resurrection bodies. Now, I want to lay something on you. And you might have to fuss with me after church. Uh, I'll be at the north door down on the first floor. No, I'm kidding. Uh, You can find me. Uh, the Bible does not teach the immortality of the soul. A lot of people don't know that. That's a Greek concept. The immortality of the soul is the spirit is the only thing that's important. The body is not valued. And only that eternal spark is that which lives forever. That is not biblical. That's a Greek concept, a Platonic concept. It is not biblical. The Bible does not teach the immortality of the soul. The Bible teaches the resurrection of the body. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. The spirit and body make up that important dynamic reality. Both are important to God. In fact, I would go this far. Christianity, of all the world religions, Christianity is, if not the most, one of the most earthy, and materialistic of all the world's religions. Materialistic in the sense that the body matters. The body is valued. So much so that the body will be raised. So when Paul does this thing about naked versus clothed, he's talking about disembodied spirit versus being clothed with the new resurrection body. Now, here's the other piece we need to know. 
The Bible teaches that at the end of history, when Christ returns, we will all be raised and we will receive resurrection bodies. So that begs the question, where are the dead in Christ now and what kind of bodies do they have? Good question. That raises the question, what about us when we die, if we die before the return of Christ? Where do we go? Well, the Apostle Paul seems interested in it, but not hung up on it. He cannot imagine the Spirit being disembodied. So somehow you get the idea that there will be some kind of temporary body covering, or maybe the time-space continuum for us after death uh, will make these questions irrelevant. Paul doesn't seem too hung up on it. He simply answers this question, where will I be when I die and leave this earth? And his answer is, with the Lord. That's all that really matters. We will be with the Lord, and the Lord will clothe us somehow until the eternal permanent clothing would be given to us in resurrection. With the Lord is all that matters, isn't it? It's all that matters. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord immediately. A lot of questions about the resurrection body. Will we know each other? Will our bodies be the same? Will they be different? There's some, no clear New Testament teaching, just uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, some hints. I believe, personally, that the clearest, most helpful material about the resurrection body is actually in the Easter story of the Gospels. Jesus' resurrection body, I believe, is a prototype of the resurrection bodies we will have. Jesus, if you recall, was not at first recognized by the disciples because they weren't looking for him. His resurrection life was different yet the same. They did not recognize him, but once they recognized him, they recognized him. Different but the same, continuity but discontinuity. Let me offer an illustration. Uh, Let's say that you knew me when I was growing up in North Missouri. Let's say that you knew me and uh, up until the day I graduated from high school at good old AHS Albany High School. And let's suppose for discussion purposes that you have not seen me since the day we graduated from high school. And then you see me today. Now I have a question for you. Am I the same person I was when I graduated from high school or am I different? Am I the same or am I different? Biologically, chemically, I'm different because I've shed some cells. <laughs> I, I'm not the same person. In fact, experts say that our cells die and shed, that every seven years we become brand new people. Isn't that amazing? I'm not the same molecularly that I was when I graduated high school, and yet I am the same. There's a continuity of memory. There's a continuity of personality. There's a continuity of relationships. 
the core me is still me, even though the body has changed. And if you knew me better, if you knew me well, those first 17, 18 years of my life, the chances are you recognize me more quickly if you saw me today. And so it is, I believe in heaven, we will know one another, but we will be different and yet the same because our bodies will be changed. By the way, in that 1 Corinthians 15, when the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection body, he says something interesting in verse 50. He says, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying these bodies, as we know them on earth, are not wired for heaven. We do not have the capacity to enjoy nor experience all the glories of eternal life, resurrection life. We need a new body. Another analogy. Think of the very first computer you ever owned. Or maybe the first computer you ever saw. Maybe it was one of those mammoth things that filled up an entire room or an entire building. Think of the very first computer you ever saw or you ever owned. And now imagine trying to run your current applications and your current programs on the very first computer you ever owned or ever saw. Wouldn't work, would it? See, I don't know much about computers, but I know this much. To run current software, you have to have appropriate hardware. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying when he says, this mortality must put on immortality, this perishability must put on imperishability. Our bodies will become new, wired for 220, so that we can experience resurrection life. And then there's this verse, 10, where Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, you need to remember something. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know him as Lord and Savior, he's already been judged for our sins. That judgment is not to determine whether or not we are God's children. That judgment happened at the cross when Jesus took our sin penalty and we trusted him. This judgment, and by the way, I'm glad the Apostle Paul said we. He's not uh, pointing a bony finger of accusation. He says we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment is a believer's judgment, a perspective of believers. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once preached a sermon on preparation for death, and he said, we need to remember that Christ has descended into hell for us, to taste death for us. So this judgment is not to determine heaven and hell. This judgment is a judgment to evaluate our works, to evaluate our motives, our lives, what we've done that lasts and matters. I want to show you a great quote by uh, Teresa of Avila, Uh, it's, It's a great quote. Remember that you have only one soul, that you have only one death to die, that you have only one life, which is short and has to be lived by you alone. That's that's living with a sense of accountability. That's living toward eternity. That's living as if life matters. We don't get a second chance at this. We we don't get a do-over. This is it. This is the real thing. 
And Paul says, in light of all this, live toward the things that count. And that's what Teresa of Avila is saying. So here's the point. Those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ can't lose. If we're on this earth away from the Lord, He's still with us. Because remember in chapter 5, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, He said, He's given us the guarantee of His Holy Spirit. That's God giving a part of Himself, God giving the down payment on our bodies until He purchases the final possession. So we can't lose. On this earth, His Spirit is in us and with us. And if we leave this earth, we go to be with the Lord immediately. We can't lose. There's a continuity of our relationship with God that cannot be broken by any disease or by death itself. There's a continuity of relationship that happens because of Jesus Christ. Somebody once asked uh, the great preacher Harry Emerson Fosdick how he viewed death. And he said, well, to me it's pretty simple. He said, I had surgery recently. And uh, I didn't really understand what was going to happen during the surgery. And I wasn't completely sure how things would be after the surgery. But he said, I knew one thing. I know and trust the surgeon. He said, therefore, with a very peaceful heart, I just rolled my life over into his hands. And I knew he'd sort everything out. And Fosdick said, if I feel that way about my surgeon, how much more do I feel that way about my Savior? I don't understand exactly what's going to happen or how it will all be afterwards, but I know the Savior. And with peace, I can roll my life into his hands. Let's pray.